Tom continues our series through the book of Ephesians, and this morning we'll be in chapter 5, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 13. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness in silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Heavenly Father, thank you for taking us out of the domain of darkness into the light of Christ. May we walk truly as children of light. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning. My illustrations lately have leaned toward World War II related illustrations or music illustrations. This one's going to be the latter uh, to start with. In uh, 1969, uh, a band that some of us old folks remember called the Young Bloods. Uh, released a song called Darkness, Darkness. The writer of the song was Jesse Colin Young, who was the, the really the founder of that band. The song never made it uh, into the Billboard Top 100. But at roughly the same time, another song from the same band uh, called Get Together hit number five, went all the way up to number five. And that song was about world harmony. Come on, people, now smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Let us love one another right now. It's kind of like that. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Darkness, Darkness was much better musically, and it was much more piercing lyrically. But it was just too honest to be mainstream. I'm going to read you a few words from that song. Darkness, darkness, be my pillow. Take my hand and let me sleep. In the coolness of your shadow, in the silence of your deep. Darkness, darkness, hide my yearning for the things I cannot be. Keep my mind from constant turning to the things I cannot see now. Things I cannot see. Darkness, darkness, be my blanket. Cover me with endless night. Take away the pain of knowing. Fill the emptiness of right now. 
emptiness of right now. Now, some musicologists called that song an ode to depression. Others called it an ode to suicide. I think they're both wrong. I believe it is simply an ode to darkness. And I think Jesse Colin Young had a better grasp of the ways of darkness than most people ever do. Not that he ever came to faith. See, when you and I were of the darkness, which we all were, before Christ saved some of us here, that darkness provided a very seductive illusion of comfort and safety. It's like a, like a soft pillow and a warm blanket that we could pull over our heads to, to keep out the light. So that we wouldn't yearn too much for something better that we could not see and could not be. So we wouldn't truly seek to come out of the darkness and into the light. But, but the problem is that the comfort and the safety that darkness affords is always a lie. It's always a denial of the light. And its end is always death. Now, most people who are familiar with the Youngbloods and with that particular song are not familiar, they're not aware of the fact that the, the man who did the violin intro to that song was a young man named Charlie Daniels. He was never famous for that song. He became very famous later on for a song called The Devil Went Down to Georgia. Charlie Daniels grew up in a Christian family. And when he was a young boy, he made a profession of faith. And to this day, he says that's when he got saved. And I believe him. But for much of his young adult life, he hung out in the darkness. He was rebellious. And he knows it. Now, if you know, if you're familiar with Charlie Daniels and his career and his music, you know that over the last three decades, he returned to his first love. He, he loves to talk about Jesus. He talks about Jesus at his concerts all the time and he tells his audience that he prays for them to come to faith in Jesus. I found a, a tweet from Brother Charlie from 2015. He said, it only takes a little light to dispel a whole lot of darkness. Hold it high. Let it shine. Let all of us make the day count. That's what this passage, beloved, is about. It's, about. it's about the light that we possess through our union with Jesus Christ being visible to the world. This passage is part of a chapter that, uh, that begins with a sort of summary exhortation in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And that exhortation is, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us. He loved you and gave Himself up for us. You see how He goes from, from you all to all of us. He, he's, he's saying it's a corporate gift. And He said that that gift of Christ in our place at the cross was an offering and a sacrifice to God as a soothing aroma. And we're called to lay ourselves up on that altar of God 
by loving each other as Christ loved us. That's the that's sort of the uh, overshadowing exhortation of everything that we're looking at here in chapter 5. And after that exhortation then, Paul goes into, some, he, he presents some other exhortations, some commands, some negative, some positive. And all of them really have to do with fleshing out that commission to love each other as we have been loved by Christ. And then to extend that love into a world of lost people. And so in verse 7, he says, uh, Therefore do not be partakers with them. And the them that he's talking about is the them that he, that he mentioned in verses 5 and 6. And it is the sons of disobedience. It's people who by their very nature are enslaved by and defined by behaviors like immorality, impurity, greed, filthiness, foolish talk, coarse joking, things that he says are not fitting among saints when God's redeemed. And he makes it very clear that those people are condemned. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God and they are are destined to the wrath of God. In verse 7 he says, Therefore, you saints, do not be partakers with them. Now the sons of disobedience in verse Six, I mentioned last time, occurs only one other time in the Bible, and that is in Ephesians 2, verse 2, where Paul was telling us what we used to be. We who are now believers in Christ. We used to all be sons of disobedience. And that phrase simply means people who by their very nature disobey God. And then he he introduces another phrase that occurs only one other time in the Bible when he says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. Literally, the word means partakers together. Partakers together. And he uses it in chapter 3, verse 6. And there, it's the only other place. And in in that verse, Paul was talking about this uh, ministry of revelation of a mystery that had been handed to him. He said there's a mystery of the ages that has now been revealed. And it's and he says to these Gentile believers in Asia Minor, he says, I'm the one that God has chosen to reveal it to you. And that mystery, he says, to be specific, is that the Gentiles are heirs together and members together of the body and partakers together, partakers together, of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. And understanding what he's saying here helps us understand what he's saying in chapter 5 because the, the idea of partakers together has a couple of elements. First is the together part, and that is that Jews and Gentiles, believing Jews and Gentiles, are now they are now in community together, in sharing in something. And the something that they share in, that we share in now, is the promise in Christ through the gospel. And what's that promise? Well, it's chapters 1 through 3. The promise in Christ through the gospel is the unfathomable riches of Christ that have been showered upon us in a waterfall from the gracious hand of God. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
We, we have all of, all of these riches that he talked about in these first three chapters. And so we, we are partakers together with one another in Christ of that mountain of blessings. Now in chapter 5, he uses the same term, but he says, do not be partakers together with those sons of disobedience. And, and as he proceeds, we find out that the same two elements are there. First, he's saying don't be joined together with them in sharing something. And the something that we are not to share with them is this. Light does not get to share the dark with darkness. Light does not get to share the dark with darkness. And then he tells us why not. And he says, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You were formerly darkness, now you are light in the Lord. What is he getting at here? Well, he's, he's, com- he's comparing natures. He's comparing identities, contrasting identities. And he's contrasting what our identity and our nature used to be with what it is now. Now, think about it. He could have made the case differently. He could have said, the reason you don't want to share the dark with, with the darkness is because the dark has nothing to offer except death. He could have given us a, a cost-benefit analysis and, and said, you don't want to do that because it's bad for you. And that case is certainly made in other passages throughout the Bible. But that's not where Paul goes here. I think it's very significant that that's not where he goes. He doesn't say you, that, that light cannot, does not share the dark with the darkness because of what it would get. It says light doesn't share the dark with the darkness because it's light. It's because he says you were formerly darkness, now you are light in the Lord. It's an old nature and a new nature and the two don't have anything to do with each other. There is no connection. And this is uh, this is a very powerful reality that, that I think sometimes finds its way out of our thinking. He says, you were darkness, now you're light in the Lord. And by the way, the in the Lord part is critically important. It is our union with Jesus Christ that not only brought us into His marvelous light, but made us children of light. Light bearers in the world. And that's that in itself is is exceedingly important because if we don't recognize that that our our new nature as light in the Lord is entirely a function of our union with Christ, then we start to we start to kind of analyze this whole thing from the wrong perspective. We very quickly or very easily make it about comparing the quantity of our sins before we were saved with the quantity of our sins since we were saved. And that can be a very misleading calculation. This isn't about counting sins, you guys. This is about a distinction, a difference in nature that means that when we used to sin, 
we were doing exactly what corresponded with who we were. And if we sin now, we are violating our nature. We are denying who we are. That's a whole lot more powerful than counting sins. To realize that when you sin, you are flatly denying who you are. And you're denying whose you are. Because who you are, you got that way because you are now in the Lord. See, what changed about you, what changed about you was not that you got mastery, you gained mastery over those sins that you used to commit. So you no longer do anything that's immoral or impure or greedy. What changed about you (laughs) is that you were not in the Lord and now you are in the Lord. And that means your very nature has changed. Your identity has changed. You aren't who you used to be. You're in Christ and He is perfect light. And in that light there is no darkness at all. And so, Paul says, you are light and the world walk as children of light. And I've already said this, but this whole thing about walking means walk around as children of light. Do life daily as children of light. It doesn't mean just know this. It means live this. Live who you are. And the essence of, of this appeal is dirt simple. He's, he, Paul's saying be who you are, not who you aren't. Be who you are, not who you aren't. What could be more fitting than to be who you are? <laughs> As a saint, a redeemed child of the living God, a child of light. So what happens when we do this? What happens when we walk as children of light? In verses 9 and 10, Paul tells us, he says, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And I'll stop there for a moment. If you go back for a second to chapter 4 and look at verse... Well, let's look at a few here. I'm going to start in mid-sentence, but that's because Paul has really long sentences. But verse 21, If indeed you have heard Him, Christ, and have been taught in Him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, your former walk, you lay aside the old man, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and you that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man. Put on the new man, and look at how he describes the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. The the nature of the new man is righteousness and holiness because that's the nature of Christ. And the new man is created in Christ. Now, it's also critically important that we look at the plurality of of that truth. Because the new man, he said earlier, in, back in chapter 2 of Ephesians, that we are being made, we are made one new man. Jews and Gentiles are one new man together in Christ. And then in chapter 4, he said, we are all being built up and equipped in Christ until we attain to uh, the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a 
mature man to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. So (laughs) this new man that we're putting on isn't just, it isn't just individual. It's corporate. We're doing this together. And, and we'll see in a moment that that's really, that's really important. Now, verse 10 is kind of easy to mess up or misunderstand. So I'm gonna, I wanna read, uh, one particular translation of verse 10, uh, from the old 1901 American Standard Version of the Bible, which is an exceptionally good translation, even though it's in King James English. It's very careful about the way it translates things. And that verse in the New American Standard says, For the fruit of the light is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving, proving what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, some translations, including this, this one I've got in my hand, say trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And, and they, people explain that, meaning it's not that God has been mysterious about what pleases Him, but it's that there's a learning curve. It takes some time for us to learn it. And that's, that's fine. That's legit. But I don't think that's really what the point of the verse is because this idea of proving what is pleasing the Lord, it, it shows up elsewhere. In Romans 12.2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be being transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And... And what he's talking about is that you may bear out in practice the things that please God. See, this is, this proving thing comes from the, from the whole realm of refining. And when you refine gold, you take this impure chunk of rock that's got some, it's got gold in it, but it's got some other stuff in it too, and you chip away what you can, and then you melt it down. And after you melt it, the gold is heavier than the impurities in the gold, so the impurities come to the surface, and that's called dross, and you skim off the dross, and then you let it cool off again, and then you repeat that process multiple times until there's nothing left to skim off, and that's when you got 24 karat gold. Peter actually uses the same word, prove, talking about the proving of our faith in 1 Peter 1. And he says much the same thing. Listen to this. 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and following. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by manifold trials. Lots of hard stuff that the proving, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested with fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. He's saying when the refining process is finished, the outcome will be beautiful in the sight of God. It will be honoring in the sight of God. And what's, and your faith will prove to have been very well placed. Because God's gonna take you and He's gonna make of you something beautiful and pure in His own sight. And, and, and that refining process doesn't get quite finished until 
the revelation of Jesus Christ until Jesus comes back. But the cool thing about refining is that it's iterative. That means that it happens in stages over time with multiple passes, right? And so that iterative process of refining already is going on in each of your lives if you belong to Jesus. And so you, God, is, God is making that, that representation of Christ in you more and more pure if you're walking in the light. If you're walking in the light. If you're walking as children of light. Now, I, uh, that idea that that the refining proceeds as, uh, as we walk. God displays Himself in our lives as we walk in the light. I believe that's the same thing that John says in 1 John 1. And he says, uh, 1 John 1 verse 5, and this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, with the other light bearers, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Not just positionally, but practically. He's refining those whom He has saved to be His. As we walk in the light, which is the exhortation here in Ephesians chapter 5. You are light, so walk in the light. The first exhortation here is that light does not get to share the dark with darkness. And the second exhortation is that light doesn't get to do what the darkness does. Verse 11, Paul says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. And, and once again, he's using a term that has two components. Literally, it's do not participate together. The root word is koinonia, which means fellowship. Don't have fellowship together in the deeds of darkness with those who are still of the darkness, who still are darkness. You see the idea here? Now, if you kind of try to think about what that means, if I said to you, if you were an unbeliever and I said to you, I can no longer be connected with you in doing the things that you love to do. There'd be two pieces to that. First, it means that I wouldn't do what you do. And secondly, it means that, that there could be no link between me and you on the basis of those deeds, of those deeds of darkness. That can't be our common ground in any way. And that's, a, again, a, it's a powerful concept. And if that's true, if we, can't, if we can't partake together in the dark with the darkness, and if we, can't, if we can't participate together in the deeds of darkness with those who are darkness, then how are we going to share Christ with them? How are we going to show them the light? It sounds, you know, at first, at first glance it might sound like we're just supposed to have nothing to do with them, to be completely out of their lives. But the great, glowing, perfect example of how this works is Jesus. Because He wasn't having to be refined. 
<laughs> Jesus was, he was not just a light bearer, he is the light. And while he was here on earth, he was sitting at tables with tax gatherers and harlots and, and religious legalists. And he was showing them the light. But what was he not doing? He was never, ever participating with them in the deeds of darkness. Never. You know what else he never did? He never once affirmed somebody in their status quo. There's a word that, that comes to me every time I think about this, about, about the impact that Jesus necessarily had on people when He was face to face with them, and that word is disrupted. Some people walked away from a meeting with Jesus and they may have pretty quickly gone back to the way of living that they were living before. They, the darkness flees from the light sometimes. Most of the time. Others, well, they, they were so radically transformed that, that the disruption was entire in their lives. They were never the same. They came out of the darkness into the light. But nobody ever stood face to face with Jesus Christ without being disrupted. Because it shakes you up when you, when you behold the light. And, and beloved, that's what God intends to do with the people in your life, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family who don't know Christ, who are still darkness. He intends to disrupt them big time through you. And there's nobody here who's exempt from that commission. Some of you are evangelists. That's your gift. And some of you are not. But you know what we all are? All of us who belong to Jesus are children of light. And we are to walk in this world bearing the light of Jesus Christ to all the people that He puts in our lives. And there are no exemptions from that. Sometimes we make that, uh, we make that impossible because we're getting the assignment wrong. And that's where I want to go next. We are not to do what darkness does, but we are in the world and we are to expose the world to the light. That's what Paul says light does in verses 11 to 13. He says, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. So one of the reasons that we aren't to participate is because the deeds of darkness that are done in darkness are, are disgraceful. That's a lot of deeds. They're disgraceful. They're repugnant to God and they should be repugnant to us. But the other reason that we are not to participate in the deeds of darkness is, is they're unfruitful. They don't do anything of value. They, they don't improve anything. They're not just unfruitful. They lead to death. And so he says, instead, expose them. <laughs> and this is where it gets really neat, I think. Instead, even expose them. 
In verse 13, he tells us what happens when things are exposed to the light. He says, all things become visible when they're exposed to the light. If you walk in a dark room, turn on the light, the roaches scatter, right? Now, there are a couple of different possible things that happen when you turn on the light in the darkness. One is that the darkness flees from the light. The other is that the darkness stays put. And you know what happens when the darkness stays in the light? It becomes light. This isn't just that we expose the darkness to the light. We get to watch darkness become light. That's what verse 13 says. We get to, we get to watch the nature of someone exposed to the light of Jesus Christ be transformed right before our eyes sometimes. And there's, there is nothing more beautiful in this life than, than to witness that. So we, instead of participating in the deeds of darkness, we do what light does. And light exposes darkness. Now I want to, I want to make sure we, that we don't miss the connection between the summary exhortation in chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 and this exhortation to walk as children of light. Both are commands to walk a certain way. One is walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. The second command to walk is walk as children of light. And and what, what I really want to make sure we get is that those aren't separate commands. They're the same essential command. That's because of the connection between love and godliness. Last week, when we were having discussion about this whole chapter... Um, my brother Bob Deffenbaugh said something that, uh, that stuck with me and will stick with me. He said, the world has redefined good by redefining love. The world has redefined good by redefining love. And he said, he said the sum of all that God requires of us is love. And, and we know that's true because Jesus said it in Matthew 22. <laughs> he, he said, He was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And he said, a second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, on those two commandments, the whole law and prophets depend. So if you want to redefine good, you have to redefine love. Anybody here think Satan isn't isn't clued in on that particular strategy? He delights in redefining love. And those who are still darkness delight in redefining love. They do it in all kinds of different ways. Some of them some of them redefine love by equating love with sex. In whatever context the person desires to experience sex, they call it love. Some redefine love by equating acts of love with practical acts of kindness. If I sell all my money and give it to the poor, I'm being loving. Except the problem with that is 1 Corinthians 13 says you can do that and still not have love. So there's a problem with that definition. Some Many these days redefine love as tolerance. They say 
Love always respects another person's ideas and beliefs and actions. So if God is loving, then God intends for us to respect and tolerate whatever another person sees as good to do. See, our problem is we don't get to do that. (laughs) It's a good problem. We don't get to redefine love because it doesn't come from us. Every attribute of God has only one source, and that's God. We don't even know what they mean until we behold God. And, And so we cannot adjust God's definition of love. Brothers and sisters, we compromise the authority of our message when we water down the purity of our calling. We compromise the authority of our message when we water down the purity of our calling because our calling is that we have been made sons of the living God. We have been brought into perfect union with Jesus Christ forever. We don't see the perfection of it just yet, but it's a perfect union. And it's irreversible for all who trust in Christ. That's whose we are. That's who we are. And that's what we've been given is union with Christ. And if we compromise the purity of that calling, we destroy the authority of our message to this world. We who are light are called to walk as light in the world and to walk in love. Now, how do we, how do we fulfill this um, when people are resistant, <laughs> which is most, what most people are, is resistant to the Gospel? Well, one thing we do not do, and this is a good thing, a good thing to know, we do not bludgeon people into the kingdom of God. I used to try to do that. I kept adding more and more weight to my bludgeon. It didn't work so well. I worked really hard to be to be right. I worked really hard to master arguments. And people weren't coming to Christ. Because God doesn't intend for us to bludgeon anybody into the kingdom. We walk in love as children of light and that means that we do what light does. And what light does is light exposes darkness to light. And then God saves people and we don't have any part in saving them. We just bear the light. We proclaim the truth and we adorn the truth with lives that match up with the truth. We walk in the light. We walk in love. And and as we proclaim the message and adorn the message, God saves people. And the ones who get saved only get saved because God saved them. not Not because of us. Never because of us. And that's also very, very freeing. But it means we don't bludgeon anybody into the kingdom. Pointing out sin and the wretchedness of sin does not fully reflect our calling and it does not complete our assignment, ever. I read this marvelous statement by, or heard marvelous statement by Martin Lloyd-Jones. A bunch of his sermons are available on audio and pretty much all of them are available in manuscript form online. Um, and there's a lot of them. But on this passage, he he made this statement. This is excellent. He said, true holiness does something that mere negative denunciation can never do. Do you know what negative denunciation means? He's saying, 
negative denunciation is pointing out sin and the wretchedness of sin, saying you're a mess, right? True holiness does something that mere negative denunciation can never do. It actually attracts lost people to the light. And that's a beautiful reality. Think of it for a minute like this. Let's say you are uh, you're down inside a big network of caves and and uh, your spelunker and your last battery for your flashlight burns out because you didn't plan very well. And so there you are in pitch black darkness and you're bouncing around trying to get out. I know I used a variant of this illustration before. I repeat repeat myself a lot, but. But you've been bouncing around for days and you're starving to death and dying of thirst and you're, you have no clue how to get out of, the, of that darkness. And then you hear a voice echoing through the caves and because of all the echo, you have no idea where it's coming from. And it says, hey, <laughs> you know why you're dying in the dark? It's because you're a fool. Now, if you're arrogant, you might say, I'm not, I'm not dying in the dark. I know exactly where I am and I know how to get out. I'm just fine. Have a nice day. But if you've been sufficiently humbled and you are sufficiently hungry and thirsty, you will probably say, yeah, you're right. I've been trying for days to get out of here and I don't have a clue. I cannot help myself. I'm dying. Would you please help me get out? Now, what if at that point you heard the same voice say yet again, Hey, the reason you're dying in the dark is because you're a fool. Would that save you? No. What if instead that voice said, Turn around, look down that way, and you'll see a little spot of light. That's me. Go toward the light. And I'll get you out of the cave and I'll feed you and I'll give you water and you'll be just great. See, that's what saves. And that's what, beloved, that's what God has commissioned us to do. We don't batter people into the kingdom of God. And every time we talk about sin and righteousness and judgment, we, it does not go without saying that we are worthy of the condemnation that we are telling people about. And, and that's the only thing that we're worthy of. That's the only thing we have earned from a righteous and holy God. We have to say that. We can't carry signs that proclaim the wretchedness of other people and call that the gospel. We have to proclaim our own wretchedness and the fact that, that the light saves. Draw people to the light. Show them the light. And the last thing I want to mention is that is how dependent we are in all this. <laughs> how helpful is it to a blind man in a cave for you to turn on a light? It doesn't help him at all if he can't see the light. That's, guys, that's our position. That's what is true of us in this world. We can't make anybody see the light. And Jesus in John chapter 8, He says everybody that doesn't, doesn't know the Father is blind. So how do you get from being blind to being able to see the light? There's only one who can, do, who can, who can take care of that, and that's God Himself. 
Only the Holy Spirit can take someone from blindness to sight so that they see the light and can follow the light and come out of the darkness. All we do is we show the light. And you know what that means? That means that we are utterly, absolutely, 100% dependent on God to save people. We're just bearers of the light. And what do dependent people do? They depend. And what is the number one most foundational way that we both express and experience dependence on the living God in our lives every day? We pray. We pray. And beloved, if we don't pray, we will not be good light bearers. Pray for the people that God has set before you in your life. And pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are absolutely dependent on the Lord of the harvest. We are absolutely dependent on the source of the light. And that means we always pray. So let's pray now. Loving Father, break us of the insanity of desiring any fellowship with the darkness that once enslaved us. It is such complete foolishness. Make us walk as children of light. Make us walk in love, Father, the love that redeemed us and redeems through us. Make us partakers together with one another in the marvelous light and forsakers of the darkness. Make us faithful bearers of the eternal life which is union and relationship with Jesus. That life which is the light of men. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.